This is WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Also streaming online at www.wvew.org. You are listening to Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections on the air every Sunday at noon. We are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio and on Instagram. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests, not the radio station. So my name is Becca. I am a middle school teacher in Springfield, Vermont, and I'm also part of the Spark Teacher Education Institute. Hi, everyone. I'm Caridad, and I'm an educator from Western Mass, and I also am part of the Spark Teacher Education Institute. This is part two of our series that Caridad and I have been doing. Um, Last week, we looked at how mutual aid can be based on solidarity, not charity. And this week, we want to look at how mutual aid organizing should and can be part of a long-term struggle in our attempts to transform the world so that all people have what they need to live healthy and happy lives. Thank you, Becca. So we're going to kick off the show right now with the song from Tracy Chapman talking about a revolution. Don't you know we're talking about a revolution sounds Don't you know we're talking about a revolution sounds they're standing in the welfare lines Crying at the doorsteps of those armies of salvation Wasting time in the unemployment lines Sitting around waiting for a promotion Don't you know talking about a revolution sounds yes, Poor people gonna rise up and get their share Gonna rise up and take what's there. Don't you know you better run, 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 Welcome back. That was Tracy Chapman singing Talking About a Revolution. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Rattleboro Community Radio Station. We are discussing mutual aid organizing and how it should be part of the long-term struggle in our fight for a better world. We'd like to start off our conversation today asking the question, why is mutual aid needed? So Becca, can you share some thoughts with us on that? It makes me think about the Tracy Chapman song that I really just love so much, that people are going to be standing in lines, waiting for the things that they need, asking for the things that they need from the government, that's not going to give them ever fully. And so she's really posing the question of, it's just a matter of time. When are poor people going to rise up and take what's theirs? And I think that just fits so well with what we're talking about here today, that there are so many ways that people are not getting their needs met within capitalism, because it really is an economic system that puts profit over people's lives. And this, of course, is going to create so many challenges for people to get their basic material needs met, housing, food, health, and general well-being and safety. You know, capitalism creates crises every day. And then instead of trying to address the roots of the problem, we're taught to place Band-Aids on the symptoms. Right. So I think, like, you know, if poverty is a consequence of wealth accumulation, which I do believe it is then solutions to alleviate poverty are never going to be enough until we address the wealth accumulation. So I think about like, how do we make it so that uh, work for people is not done by the majority of the profits going to the owners, but it actually goes to the people who are doing the work. Cause you know, we have farm workers who can't even afford to buy the food that they're producing. And that's just not right under any circumstance. Right. So I think Martin Luther King 
also shared these thoughts in a speech to the Southern Christian Leadership Conference in Atlanta in 1967. So let's go to that clip. I want to say to you as I move to my conclusion, as we talk about where do we go from here, we must honestly face the fact that the movement must address itself to the question of restructuring the whole of American society. There are 40 million poor people here. One day we must ask the question, why are there 40 million poor people in America? When you begin to ask that question, you're raising a question about the economic system, about a broader distribution of wealth. When you ask that question, you begin to question the capitalistic economy. And I'm simply saying that more and more, we've got to begin to ask questions about the whole society. We are called upon to help the discouraged beggars in life's marketplace. But one day we must come to see that an edifice which produces beggars needs restructuring. It means that questions must be raised. You see, my friends, when you deal with this, you begin to ask the question, who owns the oil? You begin to ask the question, who owns the iron oil? You begin to ask the question, why is it that people have to pay water bills in a world that's two-thirds water? These are words that must be said. Wow. So, you know, that was MLK speaking in 1967, but the questions are so relevant. You know, why are there so many poor people it's the because there's the existence of billionaires you know and he starts to get to that when he asks the questions of who owns the oil um and so i just think today why are there so many people who don't have what they need while some people have so much beyond what they'll ever need You know, a system which produces so much inequity will never create the possibilities for everyone's needs to be met. And so I think about that in terms of what we're talking about here today, Cardad, about mutual aid. How can projects that are working to ensure that everyone has what they need also address the system that makes it so that they don't have what they need in the first place? That's right. Right. So how can soup kitchens work against the global food apartheid that creates hunger? And how can organizations helping to house people without homes also create housing cooperatives so that people pay rent based on what they can? And the larger question for today is, how can the mutual aid projects that have arisen within this COVID-19 pandemic also address the underlying conditions that exacerbated this crisis in the first place, such as privatized healthcare industry and the lack of paid sick leave for all workers? Well said. I think one of the um, groups that I really look to as an exemplar of what could be, what is possible are the Black Panthers and other revolutionary organizations during the 60s um, who were working to address the lack of basic needs while also addressing the system that caused that lack or that racism in the first place. Um, So let's go to a clip. This one's about uh, the survival programs with the Black Panthers. The Black Panthers' initial mission was to police the police. Panthers followed patrol vehicles ready to defend their communities with force if they felt the need arose. This is the part of their legacy that the world remembers. But the physical self-defense was a fraction of the Panthers' objectives. As their movement grew, so did their vision. Dr. Tolbert Small was a physician to the Black Panthers, though he wasn't a party member. They were not just people in black jackets carrying guns. They were interested in actually doing something for the community. The Black Panthers focused more on what they call survival programs, things like food assistance, free education, free legal aid. And one of their top priorities was free community health care. Most of our civilized countries will provide these services for the people. The Panthers 
realized that we didn't have a civilized country. We were not providing these services for the people. As a young doctor, Small treated political activists like Angela Davis and George Jackson in prison. And when Bobby Seale issued a directive for all chapters to establish free health clinics in 1970, the Black Panther Party turned to Dr. Small to help build the program. I had all the pharmaceutical companies donating medicines to the George Jackson Free Clinic. I had doctors volunteering, nurses volunteering, med techs volunteering. Their Sheba Haven, who was a member of the Black Panther Party, says the Black Panthers' approach to healthcare was radical. I think that they had a great impact on medicine in general because they were progressive, not just in the idea that healthcare is a right, but in the way that healthcare is delivered. The Black Panther Party interceded in places where the U.S. government was seemingly absent, like its nationwide screening program for sickle cell disease. It was a first. The government was not prioritizing sickle cell anemia for the same reason that Jackie Robinson had to be the first baseball, black baseball player in 1948. For the same reason, it was not a priority. And so, Cardad, I'm wondering, like, from you, what do you think uh, we can learn from groups like the Black Panthers and the Young Lords? And how, like, what lessons do you think can be applied to our mutual aid organizing today? Cool. So I think one of the things that I heard on the clip that really kind of stood out is the idea of people stepping up right so nurses and doctors and people stepping up to participate right and mm -hmm. to um um participate in meeting the needs of those people of the people and uh, so i you know one of the most influential ideas that i learned and that continues and will continue to inform my political thinking and action is the idea that really kick-started the young lord's relationship with the community and the Young Lords, right, were a Puerto Rican revolutionary group, and they were inspired by the Black Panthers. And they weren't just Puerto Ricans. There were people, all people, all racial groups, and there were many racial groups and ethnic groups that participated in the Young Lords. But they were inspired by the Black Panthers and uh, also were revolutionary anti-capitalists, anti-imperialists. And they wanted to jump in and get everyone on board with that. And when they started, you know, what the people in the community said was, I want my garbage to be picked up. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was the immediate need, right? And that, that was the immediate need that the people had. And the New York City sanitation was not doing it, right? So in 1969, um, the garbage offensive was organized. And so young lords between the ages of 16 and 26 and other kids and men, women and elderly in the community piled up all the garbage in the middle of the street on 3rd Avenue in El Barrio, also known as Spanish Harlem in New York City. And they left it there for the sanitation department to clean it up. And when that four feet high dump in the middle of the street didn't immediately catch the city's attention, the people decided to burn it right up right there. And so that garbage offensive, that visual of burning garbage right, allowed for everyone, right, to see and not negate the conditions of the Puerto Rican people and how they were living in El Barrio due to the city's neglect. You know, and the people's demand was, we want respect, we want justice. And, you know, mm -hmm. weeks before the, the garbage offensive, the Young Lords also organized the people in El Barrio um, to clean up using their own house brooms. And the sanitation department, like I said before, had neglected East Harlem for a very long time. And when the people ran out of brooms, the young lords went to the sanitation department and asked for more brooms. And of course, the department denied them, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the point I think that I want to make is that the struggle begins where it happens, on the ground where the people are at. You know, the people demanded and the revolutionaries responded. You know, and so we need to work and, and to identify and to and to see the reality of the people's needs today, right? What are those needs? Those basic needs that are not being met. I think it's really important for us to study these movements and these struggles and why and when the people leading those movements were violently attacked by the state and violently squashed. It's also crucial to know what took the place of those groups in the 70s in order to understand the role that mutual aid can play today in organizing for the long-term struggle 
to transform this world in a place where people can live with dignity and where everyone can have, you know, all their needs met. I mean, it's so incredible, Caridad, to think about um, during that period, like there was a different consciousness of people that they were not going to wait for the government to give them what they deserved, that they were going to demand it and make it happen. You know, going back to Tracy Chapman (laughs) and it sometimes can be so hard to imagine that today because after these revolutionary movements were systematically destroyed by the federal government, uh, the government gave power and funding to nonprofit and other service providers to kind of fill the gap that was being provided um, for basic services such as health, housing, and, and education. And just like to think about the difference in uh, meeting people's basic needs through a revolutionary movement that's working to change the fundamental system versus um, a kind of hand-me-down charity model that's just giving them enough to keep them satisfied and how different that um, mentality is for the people who are also the like that beneficiary mentality that is built up. And we can definitely see the consequences of that today. Yeah. And, and this essentially, right. Um, took away power from the community to organize for and with themselves. Right. Mm. And it continues to do that. Uh, these models um, that we have of taking care of people, right. That are state sanctioned and, and funded by philanthropy and, and uh, the rich who are, in fact, the reason why poverty exists because mm-hmm. of that uh, accumulation of wealth in the hands of such few people, um, you know, the power of the community is um, taken away. So, and we see this, right, today reflected within institutions of social services and nonprofits, like you mentioned, which tend to practice charity and not solidarity. And I want to remind people from our last show, you know, we talked about how charity is something that has behind charity is this idea that the poor are to blame for their lots, right? Mm-hmm. And mutual aid says no. Mutual aid says no, the problem is the economic system, like Martin Luther King was saying, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a very different uh, way uh, 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 of seeing these things. And so, because of that, because of all these decades and years uh, 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 of people being serviced through these uh, beneficiary uh, institutions, it makes it difficult, right, to see beyond the nonprofit industrial complex and to re-envision our struggles for justice. And so I'm thinking that at this moment, as we are, um, we are, building these networks and associations of mutual aid, right? That we should simultaneously be thinking and studying um, the work produced by groups like the Panthers and the Lords and others and see what they can teach us about what is needed today. And I, and I want to say that we have to work and we are working. The mutual aid networks are working with nonprofits, and I think that this is a great opportunity for the people working in the nonprofits to rethink the way um, we engage the communities, right? And move away from that charitable beneficiary mentality and more to a people-powered movement. Absolutely. So let's take our song break. This is Rebel Diaz, Revolution Has Come.
but the kids is gang banging. There ain't a war on drugs, it's a war on the hood. The Democrats and Republicans both up to no good. They both got in bed with the multinationales. They sending us to prison instead of sending us to college. The janitor's mop can't clean the situation when the dictator of our nation is called a corporation. Swear to God, my mama never supported Obama. I'm a Chicago riot starter like a haymarket martyr. I'd rather focus on the streets, organizing the tribes. Go against the grain and know that I tried. I'm not into working backwards, I'm talking direct action. I'm talking fighting for freedom for the poor and working classes. I would work for reform. This is for my unborn. I'm putting on a ski mask and this weapon is drawn. All in bloodthirsty, they raping the resources Things is getting darker, but it's light that I offer No divide and conquer, I'm talking people power I was ticking, hurry, hurry, get your ticket for the future Identify the problems and move on to the solutions You should be involved, build, show love That's step number one, before we shooting dumb guns Run, cop, but we united, no more internal fighting Might just run up on the precinct, no justice, no peace This is... listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. Today we're discussing mutual aid organizing and how it should be part of the long-term struggle in our fight for a better world. Now we're going to listen to an interview with Jax Padilla from Western Massachusetts. Yeah, I can hear you now. Phenomenal. All right, so to all our listeners on Indigo Radio, we have Jax Pavilla from Western Mass Community Mutual Aid Network, and they are the coordinator and the neighborhood point person in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Welcome, Jax. We're really glad to have you. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, wonderful. So we're going to ask some questions about the mutual aid work that's happening in Holyoke. So mm-hmm. you can um, share with us how it started, what are your roles, and what's happening right now. Yeah, so it started basically with the already existing Slack channels that were happening um, called uh, the Western Mass Community Mutual Aid, um, where there are different channels for different towns. Um and it, it really just started there um, and uh, thinking about the different people in my organizing life, uh, for example, Neighbor to Neighbor and Jobs with Justice, um, who are thinking more about the Lower Valley um, and Holyoke and Springfield and Chicopee areas that um, a lot of people don't have access to Slack or Internet or Google Documents, so thinking about how to make it more accessible to folks. Um, so my roles are 
a neighborhood point person and coordinator. And what a neighborhood point person means is basically getting the needs met of all community members. Um, so as the needs come in through different intake forms, through either uh, forms that were created by Neighbor to Neighbor and Jobs to Justice or um, through the Slack channel. Um, and who now, they there's a whole website um, called WMACMA.com where you can just put in whatever needs um, are coming up for you and yours. Um, and then that... And so each neighborhood point person is contacted to get those needs met. And that looks like grocery runs, um, drop-offs, um, uh, taking people to the doctors, child care, really whatever is necessary to continue to live and get basic needs met. Um, and what is happening right now is, um, you know, it's this is, fairly new, this mutual aid um, work, um, and I'm fairly new to it. Um, so there's definitely a high demand and a high need to support community members and give out resources that are happening on a Google format um, to people that don't have access to that. Um, you know, it's like getting close with neighbors, getting the word out that this is happening at all because um, a lot of people don't know. Um, and, you know, just like building trust and, you know, confianza with each other and just continuing, which is something that should be happening outside of just mutual aid, um, you know, just like getting to know one each other, one another, exactly. and building solidarity. Mm -hmm. It sounds like... Um you're connecting with all these groups that have already been established right. and continue building those relationships. So that's great. Um, yeah. And so thank you for that. Tell us what <laughs> some of the challenges that you're facing right now. Um, mm -hmm. And are there any lessons learned so far? Yeah. Um, it's been challenging to get people in Holyoke to engage as like, you know, people that are more privileged who can be doing this mutual aid work um, at all, who have access to a car, who have financial means, um, you know, just like getting those that demographic to step up um, and really provide support for community. Um, but at the same time, there has been a lot of people, you know, stepping up and showing up to the organizing scene in a beautiful way. Um, and, you know, just some lessons I've learned personally is being patient, um, not taking things personally, which is very much a lifelong lesson. Um, you know, just meeting people where they're at in general and, it's not a thing like you can, you have to provide all these things to be a part of mutual aid. It's really just we're all human beings here really struggling in a time where we can ab like absolutely show up for each other in whatever capacity is, is needed, you know, and wanted. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Can you tell maybe name a few things um, some of the needs that are coming up, some of the yeah. needs that are coming up. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, in my apartment building, a lot of people don't know the safety precautions that are in the next coming months, you know, thinking long-term in the next year, um, like what this virus can entail in terms of gatherings. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, just thinking, like, safety precautions, like, what actually is happening? Like, what is this virus? What can it do? How can you prevent it? Um, how can you talk to other people about it? How can you engage and still feel good? Um, 
So you're saying that people need more information, that they're not well-informed? That's exactly. Yeah, and, that, and we see that, right? We see the media giving very different information and not accurate information, don't we? Right, exactly. Especially for low, poor income immigrant communities. Right. So that's something that we're going to have to work on, like really clarifying that information and making it accessible. That's a great point. That's a great point. And, um, yeah, anything else you want to add to that? Like what are some of the needs that are showing up? Childcare, uh, diapers, Mm. you know, hand sanitizer, like really sanitizing your own home. Um, Yeah. Being able to, to... know that your child is going to be taken care of by someone that you trust so that you can run errands, you know, kind of thing. Um, Right. Right. Okay. All right. So I wanted to uh, address, um, because I've been part of some meetings, right? And so the idea, you know, this apparent risk that exists, and I'm going to say apparent, I'm going to say it's a risk, that exists between what has historically been identified as the upper valley and the lower valley in western Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to, to ask, you know, because even that language, right, upper valley, lower valley, wow, that's so indicative, right, right. like a class hierarchy. Yeah. And so my question is, are the concepts of upper and lower valley an accurate description of the class realities that exist in each area? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Um, Tell us more. Yeah, especially in thinking about this mutual aid that's happening, there's been a lot of um, momentum in Northampton and Amherst, um, just to name a few towns, that hasn't been uh, reciprocated in Holyoke. which I think is directly correlated with how the information is being shared and how much that information is accessible to people. Um, And, you know, just thinking, I'm an educator, uh, so a paraeducator, um, one-on-one work with students in the classroom. And in this pandemic, knowing... um, the school that I worked at, where I no longer work at, um, has a lot of resources available to low-income students and poor and working-class families, whereas here in Holyoke, there is a lot more of a need. Um, and um, That's a great point, to bring up the schools and the different yeah. Tell us more. Tell us more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know that here in Holyoke, where I live, I know that there's three meals as well, which is great. Um, but I wonder, in comparison with Amherst, like, is there child care also being provided? Um, are these resources also being provided? Um, how are, like, from what I gather, the Upper Valley has a lot more resources, and at the same time, they hold this kind of facade of being more progressive and, like, able to build community, um, where it, uh, in my experience, has oftentimes fallen short. Um, so, so as a community in the Upper Valley, how can these resources be redistributed in neighboring, like, very, very close towns and, like, all of these ideas and thoughts and um, resources, how can they be expanded? And, like, how can you actually build community with those that are neighboring you? Um, Absolutely. Instead of just, like, keeping it in a centralized area, you know, how can we all, as people just living in Western Mass, come together to show up for those most vulnerable right now. Right. Um, and so I think I think you've um, pretty much given us a good, um, you talked about, like, how communication is sent out and how it's accessed. So I think that that is one example of how hierarchy is 
reproduced, right? Mm-hmm. And how it's being reproduced right now within the mutual aid organizing that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, the questions we're asking and you're asking is, so how can we change that? How can yeah. we push back in this very historical moment and kind of change that? Yeah. Good. And yeah. so um, I wanted to expand a little bit about the upper and lower valley. And mm-hmm. maybe we don't want to, maybe we won't be able to answer that now, but I do know I live in Belchertown, considered mm-hmm. the upper valley. <laughs> and um, I do know that we have other towns in this upper valley, like uh, Palmer and Ware, um, where we also have a lot of existing poverty, right? Mm-hmm. Pre-existing poverty. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure. This is a question that I'm posing to the public, to us. How is it different? Like, because they're part of the upper valley, are they also um, benefiting from the resources that, other towns like Northampton and Amherst, or are they not? Are they also being marginalized or excluded, not on purpose, of course, right? These are pre-existing hierarchies, right? And, and we're trying to change that. So I'm just wondering about that, cause, um, but that's something that we can't answer now. Um, you know, we can definitely in, in a future program because we're going to continue talking about this. Yeah, well, I think if you're poor living in the Upper Valley, you're poor living in the Upper Valley. <laughs> I mean, right? It, there's a differentiation there, you know. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you're not able to access resources or struggling financially, you know, you're that's like quite simple. You're you're struggling um, and not necessarily attuned to the community work that's happening because it's not being directly shared with those most vulnerable. Um, exactly. So think, yeah. Yeah. So we can assume that probably those communities, those communities, right, living with pre-existing poverty in the upper valley are probably also not being able to access so readily. Right. The resources. Right. Yeah. And that could include language barriers, you know, like all of these resources not being translated effectively for people that don't speak English. Um, That's right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 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 So I have um, this one last question. And so what do you think? I mean, I think we've talked a little bit about this already, but let's think a little more about what needs to happen. Like what are some things that need to happen to ensure that resources are shared equitably across the valley. So let's expand a little bit. I think we talked a little bit about some. Let's expand a little more. Maybe you have yeah. some very specific things that you want to talk about. Yeah. Um, I'll plug what me and my housemates are doing. Um, we're basically building an apothecary um, for people in whatever part you're living in Western Mass, which means uh, getting together an individualized kit of herbs and remedies for for the individual and their family um, and, like, resources to take care of your nervous system, your anxiety, your inability to sleep, um, all these kinds of things um, that are being accentuated during this pandemic. Um, and, like, Arts and crafts, you know, basic, basic uh, uh, resources just to, like, get creative and, like, you know, um, express yourself in this different kind of way. And, like, we have a ton of toys for for kids um, that we're distributing in our own apartment building and that can be distributed in other places. Um, and I think, you know, as... You know, I'm not in love with the title of neighborhood point person or Holyoke coordinator, um, but getting in touch with these people in your own neighborhood is really important because there's so, so, so much mutual aid and resources that people are providing, um, and we're just really needing to access those that need those, that kind of support. 
Um, so just like getting the word out, just talking to your neighbor, um, thinking about like, oh, hey, I see that this person has something or needs something. I can connect them with this other person that can connect them with this other person or what have you, whatever it is, um, to continue to to think about this mutual aid that is happening not only here in Western Mass, but global or uh, nationally um, in a lot of different places. You know, like there's a lot of support and a lot of people willing to help um, especially being out of work um, yeah. or just, like, having resources readily available. Um, and I want to I wanna add that um, since I'm also working with you, that we are regularly meeting, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and we're welcoming, you know, whoever is able to step up as a point person at whatever capacity, you know, like yeah. that's open to anybody. So I just want to let the public know that people within this mutual aid network are virtually meeting regularly to troubleshoot, to continue developing uh, um, the redistribution of resources. So, you know, we're we're doing these, we're asking ourselves these questions, and we're working to solve the problems as they they come along. So I wanna I wanna thank you, Jess, for being here with us today. Thank you so much, Karina. Yep, and I will. We will be definitely posting the um, Western Mass Community Mutual Aid um, site, which is actually wmacma.com. Mm-hmm. Um, who are needing to um, either request support and help or contribute their resources mm-hmm. to the mutual aid that's going on. Here with Jack Pavilla from Western Mass Community Mutual Aid Network. And thanks again, Jack. Thank you so much. You take care. You too. Bye-bye. So that was an interview with Jax Padilla from Western Mass. And today we've been talking about mutual aid. We're going to take a song break with Joan Baez, Bread and Roses. This is Indigo Radio. As we go marching, marching in the beauty of the day, a million darkened kitchens, a thousand mill lost gray, are touched with all the radiance that a sudden sun discloses. For the people hear us singing, bread and roses, bread and roses. As we go marching, marching, we battle to for men. For they are women's children, and we mother them again. Our lives shall not be sweated from birth until life closes. Hearts starve as well as bodies. Give us bread, but give us roses. As we go marching, marching, unnumbered women dead, go crying through our singing, their ancient call for bread. Small art and love and beauty, their drudging spirits new. Yes, it is bread we fight for, but we fight for roses too. Hello? Hi, Janaki. Yes, this is Janaki. Great, Janaki. It's Caridad. So wonderful to have you here with us today. How are you, Caridad? Thank you so much for asking me. And uh, you do such good work on the radio, on Indigo Radio. And I hope people listening will uh, be in touch with us all in this conversation. Yes. Yes, Janaki. Thank you. Uh, for our listeners, today we will interview Janaki Natarajan, who is the co-director of the Spark Teacher Education Institute. I want to welcome you again. Thank you very much. So, Janaki, um, as you know, today we are talking about mutual aid, and we would love to hear 
um, some of your thoughts on mutual aid work, both historically and today. Well, uh, that's a big question, and uh, okay. it's, uh, I would like to ask if I'm not clear, please do ask me, and I hope, as I said, doctors will indeed engage with us. So the idea of mutual aid um, is something that comes to me, those words, from two sources. The first time I heard about it was uh, in the 40s, late 40s and early 50s, and it was in relationship to China. And what I understood then, and I understood much, much better much later on, is that when the land in China was... Uh, uh, used and killed commonly by the people in that in an area, and this is in the liberated areas in northern China, they were no longer, the land no longer belonged to landlords or um, uh, absentee landlords or present landlords who in the old days used to use peasants and pay them very little and so on and most in kind to kill the land. So when the land became, was made to be beneficial to the tillers, the peasants themselves then, regardless of whether they had owned land or not, would then help each other to now in the new society uh, produce food. So that was called mutual aid, where people came together in order to till till the common land in order to benefit from it. Because every human needs food, clothing, and shelter. These are needs. And so when you produce that, then it is beneficial to all the people who bent their backs and worked with their hands and their ideas in order to produce the food. Absolutely. That's one one pathway. Is that is that very clear? Yes, it is very clear. The second source of it was in India, where I spent some years with a man called Vinoba, with the who's a Gandhian, who'd been in jail, uh, jailed by the British uh, colonizers, and had worked with Gandhi, and he went with a group of us from village to village to collect land from the absentee landlords. And his idea was that they should give, as it was called dana, to give land uh, to the tillers. And others amongst them would give of their um, strength in order to mutually help each other produce. But this was not as it was in China where all the land became commonly owned by the people. It was more a uh, a gift-giving, uh, sharing, charity, philanthropy on the part of the absentee landlord. So those are the two pathways historically that I heard about the words uh, of, of aid, if you will. That's an interesting difference that you pointed out. Um, can you expand a little bit, talk a little bit about those two differences? So on on one hand, we have more of a charitable kind of approach. Um, and then in China, it was the people themselves. Um, the land belonged to all the people that used it, right? And I'm not even sure right. if the correct word belonged, but it was for the people and killed by the people, and the benefit was for the people. And in exactly. India, and yeah. Yeah, the, the people who lost, in a sense, in China, if you want to use that word, uh, from their point of view, are the landlords. They no longer had the privilege and the supremacy of owning the land, but they became themselves tillers. And they had I to see. face. Uh, you know, the labor of having to produce the food. In India, uh, in the 50s and early 60s, uh, the absentee landlords 
by which I mean many of the landlords lived in the local towns or cities and had the land uh, filled by people who uh, were paid in kind or in, uh, or in money. And these landlords gave some of their land, and sometimes this was not the best land, in order to lessen any antagonism towards them by the peasants. So if I want to come to the current situation, then that's a direct connection. So let's talk about the current situation that we are seeing um, right now during this pandemic of COVID-19. We're seeing, wow, hundreds, maybe thousands of mutual aid groups that are um, responding to the catastrophic effects. Um, that are happening right now um, all across this country and all across the world. And um, right here in Brattleboro, in, in Vermont, as well as in Western Massachusetts, um, we are seeing uh, a network of mutual aid groups that are standing up and um, people helping people, taking care of each other. And can you um, talk a little bit about some of the similarities? Yeah, thank you, Kaidate. The point is when we talk about China, we talk about India, we talk about now, we have to take into account trying to answer the question, where did this happen, when did it happen, and what was happening in the, in the society during this time? Yes. The context of mutual aid becomes very important in order to, for us to understand mutual aid. I was very uh, touched by uh, Jack Padilla's, uh, with, with the person you interviewed uh, a short while ago. It's very poignant because here was a person and here was a close, close group of people, as you said, who felt moved to organize in order to meet the necessities. And the necessity was actually very much the physical needs of humans, food, clothing, shelter, caring in that way. Um, so when she was talking about how they did it and how people did step up and so on, that was, that was very, very moving indeed. Yes. The problem is that the need is now. What existed before and what will exist after? So one little statistics might help us with this. Uh, we know that uh, the growth of the GDP uh, in this country um, rose 89% since 1980. Now we're in 2020, 1980. 89%, that is the whole production of the country, rose by 89%. Mm. During the same period, the bottom half of the society, of U.S. society, their wow. wealth, their well-being rose 20%. Wow. Okay? The very rich, that is the top, 0.1% of this society, this economy, their, their wealth rose 420%. Unreal. Okay. Mm. So it's 20%, 420%. And the numbers are the bottom half of the society and 0.1% of the society. So if that is the reality of the economic situation, we have to be very clear in figuring out what is wealth and what is poverty and not blink. <laughs> be very clear-eyed when you look at this. So yeah. now there is a crisis, and we have about, as of yesterday, 16 million people unemployed. There has been poverty before this crisis, as we just said. So the question is, 
what does mutual mean in this context? Because mutual means held in common or shared in common. But it was not that before. So what is the relationship now? In what ways is this quote-unquote sharing done? Is it charity? Is it a pity? Is it philanthropy? What do these words mean? And we have to be very careful to ask ourselves the question that when we feel this sympathy and we feel this uh, uh, deep compassion even for human struggling, when does it begin and when does it stop? Does it begin with the virus and stop the date that vaccine is found in, is discovered? Exactly. So what is the reality is the question, Canada. Yes. What is the reality? Vanity. As usual. And well, yes. this is the thing, you know, I mean, we step up, Jack said, and she was so sincere and so hardworking so clearly with all the group of people. And there's a deep, deep uh, uh, difficulty with that. And that is that if indeed there is a very wealthy who actually own wealth and others who work for them, which is a relationship of exploitation, and it's all over the world. That is that is what we call so-called globalization. Then what do we do tomorrow? Do we go back to the uh, main street, as it's called, uh, in, in Philadelphia or Upper Valley or whatever we want to call these places, mm. up in the hills and down in the marshes? What does this mean? What does it mean in terms of human relationships? So I'm really glad this work is going on because there's no question that that this need is there. We must fulfill this basic need, but use this need and this time to forge the question: Should this world exist in this way of the very wealthy and the poor? Should this world exist in this way? where the wealthy are wealthy because they exploit the poor. Can there be great wealth without there being poverty? Can there be profits without there being poverty? That is cheap labor and cheap resources. So, yes, we must do mutual aid work right now in this great need, but we must not escape the consequences of that work. Right. That's right. Thank you, Janaki. Thank you. Because Thank you that, those, yeah, those are the questions that as we build these networks of mutual aid, of people helping people, we must continue to ask ourselves those questions and, and study together and continue building upon that so that this doesn't end just when, like you said, we have the vaccine and people can now go outside of their homes, but that we use this moment to build um, and envision a different way uh, of being, of living in this world. And I'm glad you call it Indigo Radio because that represents the suffering of people. Thank you. Wow. Thank you so much, Janaki. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you. Welcome back. This is Indigo Radio on the Brattleboro Community Radio Station 107.7 FM. Check out our Facebook page to listen to our shows and find links, photos, and other information. Thank you all for listening in today. We encourage you to keep following Indigo Radio as we continue to deepen our understanding and make connections as this pandemic continues to unfold. Thanks, everyone, and stay strong as we continue to struggle together.